Saul's situation, we find in verse 24 of chapter 1, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. And what was he suffering? Well, at the end of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 18, incarcerated at the time of the writing of the book of Colossians. And, uh, and jail is no fun. Uh, jail is not a, a, not a fun place. In fact, when the um, commentators and scholars try to figure out where this book was written from, they have a hard time in doing that. Was it while he was in jail in Ephesus? Was it while he was in jail and under arrest in Rome? Most scholars think that. Or maybe one of his other places where he was in jail. The Apostle Paul was in jail a lot for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've never been uh, in jail, uh, but I have had my freedom deprived from me by an officer of the law for a brief period of time. It was actually when I was a campus minister at staff training uh, that this happened. Uh, We were at staff training in Atlanta, and the campus ministers went out to play golf after our staff training. And uh, so it was kind of late, and we, we finished up nine holes, and it was getting dark. And one of the campus ministers uh, lost his wedding band um, in the equation. And, but he knew where he had dropped it, and it was getting dark, and so we were all looking for it. We couldn't find it. And uh, I said, look, it's getting late. Let's just go grab some uh, dinner, and we can come back with some flashlights. This was before cell phones. And uh, we'll go look for your for your ring. And so we did that. We got back about 1130 at night, uh, back at the clubhouse. And so we're looking uh, for this ring, and um, then all of a sudden, I hear an alarm go off. And so I say to my friend, you just stay right here. I'll go check it out. And there in front of the clubhouse at the circular drive was our car and a police cruiser behind it. And uh, then another police cruiser came up, and the policeman got out of his car, and he said, what's going on? And I told him, And my friend walks up at that point, and he says, you in the back of that police cruiser, you in the back of this police cruiser. So, um, you know, they don't have handles on the inside of those police cruisers. It is a very unsettling feeling, and uh, I'm thinking, okay, I can just see this now. Two campus ministers, you know, arrested for something at staff training in Atlanta, And after about five minutes, the first policeman came over, and what had happened is he saw the car there, and he started checking doors. One of the doors was unlocked, and he opened the door, and he set off the alarm. So that was my brief history in the back of a police car. And even though it was like five minutes, it was unpleasant. And the Apostle Paul dealt with this again and again and again. And so the Apostle Paul had this ability to be thankful even while life was not going well. You know, if your life is easy and wonderful, it's not particularly noteworthy if you're giving thanks. But when life is not going well, and you're able to give thanks out of a, of a sincere heart of thanks, that is part of what it means to live the good life. Are you living the good life? Are you thankful in bad times? Now, Paul's message to the Colossians is not, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better be thankful, I'm telling you why, Jesus Christ is coming to town. Doesn't that just warm the cockles of your heart? You you better shape up. No, that's not the message. The message of the book of Colossians is that 
the truth has come, and this truth will change you. And this truth will continually change you throughout your life, transform you. And that truth is called the gospel. Colossians 1.4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. And this truth of the gospel will put you into a right relationship with God. It'll, it'll take away your record that stands between you and God as you and I, all of us have sinned and have broken God's law and by rights deserve to be punished and separated from God for all eternity. The gospel message recorded in Colossians says this in verse chapter 2, verse 14. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our record has been nailed to the cross and has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the righteous one, who took the punishment that you and I deserve. James Harrison is called the man with the golden arm because he's donated blood over the past 60 years more than 1,100 times. And the reason why he's done that is because his blood is unusual. It, con it contains a special antibody that is used to make a life-saving medication called anti-D. And this medicine is given to mothers whose blood is at risk of attacking their unborn babies. And he single-handedly helped save uh, the babies of more than 2 million women, according to the Australian Red Cross. And that's quite something. Uh, it's amazing. But this is what we read of Jesus Christ and his blood in Colossians 1.20. Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And we have peace with God. We have reconciliation with God because Christ shed his blood. He shed his blood for you and for me. And if we would simply trust in what he's done, not what I've done, not what you've done, but what he's done in his perfect life and his absolute, complete sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sin, to cover the guilt, to cover the debt, that you're restored in relationship with God. And it's a faith and a trust that is lived out in this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And to say it's a relationship is really a gross understatement. Um, now, I'm sure all of you have been following the Eurovision music competition that's been on. You know, they, they had the finals yesterday. And uh, it's brought to us, um, the world knows about it, and it's brought to us such great names as Abba, and Julio Iglesias, and a lot of people you've never heard of, including um, the uh, group that I'm going to quote here. Um, it's the Bulgarian uh, group, Equinox, and they sang the song Bones last night in the finals. Uh, they did not win, uh, but these were the lyrics of their song. What is life? It is just of the earth, only of the flesh and bones. I want to thrive in the dust of the universe, so I love beyond the bones. It goes deep inside your soul. I love beyond the bones. And the Bible says to us that Jesus Christ was a flesh and blood, yes, a, a man with bones, and he had to be because he had to be like you. He had to be like me 
so that he could do what we could not do. But the Bible says that he was not only man, he was not only human, he was also God. And as we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united with the God of the universe. We go beyond simply a relationship with flesh and blood and bones. We read this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Relationship, indeed. But it's more than just some psychological relationship. It is a connection by the Spirit of God, a mystical connection with the creator of the universe that you and I can have when we place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And our life is completely defined by that. And so this is the full life, as Paul puts it in Colossians. This is the good life. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Because you're connected with Jesus Christ through faith and by his spirit, you are connected with the God of the universe. Christ is the fullness of the deity, and you have been filled in this life with him for the good and the full life. So we live the good life because we've been reconciled to the creator of the universe. But we also live the good life because he's doing something good in you. And in this sense, our series title, The Good Life, uh, means this. It's the sumum bonum, the highest good, uh, that which is the highest ethical uh, aim that you can have in life, that God works that in you. And that is, for instance, the love that we read here for all the saints. The Apostle Paul says, I've heard through Epaphroditus of the love that you have for all the saints. And you say, well, sure, I can love saints, but it's those devils i got a hard time loving, those people that I work with, those people in my family. But by saints, what Paul means is those who believe in Jesus Christ and are righteous in God's sight through him. And so to the point... The gospel, the good news, is productive. Chapter 1, verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel of which has come to you, and indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It's bearing fruit. People all over the world were believing the good news of Jesus Christ. How had the Colossians heard this gospel? Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and made it known to us, to, made known to us your love in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul had never been to the city of Colossae. Uh, the Colossi, Colossi city was about 100 miles uh, inland. Uh, Ephesus was right on the coast in modern-day Turkey. And Colossae was 100 miles to the east of that, along with a couple of other cities that are mentioned here in the book of Colossians, Hierapolis and Laodicea. And um, the best theory is that Epaphroditus uh, was in Ephesus, and he heard the preaching of the Apostle Paul, was converted, and he took back the message of the gospel to his uh, fellow residents in Colossae. And they came to faith in Jesus themselves. And so it's productive. It 
it had an effect in the lives of the Colossians. Not just leading them to faith in Jesus Christ, but it produced love by the Spirit of God. And so the good life is a life where we more and more are growing to be like our Savior Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for us because he loved us and he cared for us. And so God is working in our hearts to give us that love for those around us and that heart of thanksgiving more and more over time. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So part of the good life is that we don't remain static, but that God is at work in you and me to bear fruit in love and in thanksgiving. We read that faith and love are the result of a message of hope. And by hope, we don't simply mean a wish, but we mean a favorable, confident expectation. Colossians 1.5 says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, we're united with Jesus Christ, and one day Jesus Christ will return. Chapter 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know your Lord Jesus Christ. You know the lover of your soul. And you look forward to the point at which he returns. And you, along with Jesus, will experience glory. And you look forward to that day, and you know it's going to happen. And it, it not only affects your view of the future, it affects how you live in the present. It changes everything. It is the good life. Jesus Christ said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what profit is the beach life? What profit is the 30A life or the Caribbean life or the healthy life or the wealthy life if your future is bleak? But if we know our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know what our destiny is, then our life is filled with joy. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also experience glory with him. And this message recorded in the Bible is truth. It is a message of truth. It is a message that this is the way that you can live the good life. And the Colossians are being told that the good life is found in something other than Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. They're tempted to believe that the full life is found elsewhere. And so Paul is writing to counter that. Just this week I had somebody tell me, they said, uh, well, I... You know, I don't have much use for the Bible. Um, My philosophy is, um, you know, whatever makes you kind is good. But I personally don't find uh, much use for the Bible. Well, kindness is good. But the Bible is truth. The Bible is the communication of God to us from the apostles, from the prophets. Epaphroditus heard it from Paul. Paul heard it from Jesus Christ, and it's communicated to us. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This is truth, and the truth is transforming. And so the Apostle Paul, and by reference God wants us to know 
what the truth of God is. The editors of GQ magazine have named the Holy Bible as one of the most overrated books in history. Uh, Novelist Jesse Ball wrote in GQ, the Holy Bible is rated very highly. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It's repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. So I want to say to Jesse or to Bill or to Susan or to whoever who would say the Bible really doesn't count for much. Uh, What about your opinion? I mean, so many times people will say, if you believe the Bible is true, the true word of God, well, that's just a very uh, arrogant view that somehow you have the truth. But really, if you're telling me that you have an alternative truth that you've come up with, that is so very Sunday, May 13th, 1124. I mean, in another 10 years, your truth is going to be different. Ten years ago, your truth was different. Whatever's sort of true in our society today, just give it a few years. It's not going to be true anymore. Uh, People change. Is there some part of the universe that you have not explored? Maybe you haven't looked behind Pluto to see what's there. And the reality is that our knowledge of the universe is infinitesimally small. We just don't know much about the universe. And so in humility, we listen, we believe, we need to know the communication from God, his truth, in order to understand life, in order to understand what the good life and the true life is. Some people say we're past truth, you know, we're in the post-truth age, and so what's true for you may not be true for me, so Let me just give you guys a little advice. You're going back to Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center, some of you RUF folks. So here, I'm going to give you some directions. So go out 7th Street to Harrison, hang a left, and then when you get to 6th Street, hang a left and keep going. Just follow that road all the way past Tyndall Air Force Base, and you'll pass Tyndall Air Force Base, and you'll get to the beach. Well, what's wrong with those directions? It'll get you to Mexico Beach. It won't get you to Laguna Beach. It'll get you to the wrong beach, and you'll be a long way from where you're trying to get. And Paul says to his audience, there are directions for life. There are true directions for life, the good life, and these directions come from God himself. And he's saying you're tasting it now. You're experiencing it now, and it's only going to get better. Don't give up. Continue to hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone as your root to the good life. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I like the old uh, song by Audio Adrenaline with the lyrics that state, What good would it be if you had everything, but you wouldn't have the only thing you need? This is the good life. I've lost everything I could ever want and ever dream of. This is the good life. I found everything I could need. Here in your arms. Laura Story is the writer of the, um, of the anthem today. And um, there's a little blurb in your bulletin about, about her and some of the lyrics. And she writes uh, and was sung today, What if blessings come through raindrops? That can just sound like a bunch of trite, insincere words. But if you understand her history, you know that that is not the case, that that she has undergone 
severe difficulty, like the Apostle Paul, and is yet able to write these things. And so Laura Story's uh, husband, Martin, had brain surgery uh, to remove a tumor. And after that surgery, he changed dramatically. His personality, which was a warm, uh, receptive personality, he became mean-spirited. She was in the hospital room with him when she was discovering this. And uh, she called on her father to come and to be with her. Uh, Martin had always really liked her father. And so they were in the hospital together when a nurse came in. And Martin said to the nurse, uh, this man is compromising my care. And then he said it again louder. This man is compromising my care. And so Laura said, Martin, stop. But Martin wasn't done yet. He pointed at me. She's compromising my care. I'm compromising his care? For nearly two months, I hadn't left his room. I'd slept on a pleather recliner that creaked every time I moved to get comfortable, which was all night long. I barely had a blanket and a pillow because the laundry kept taking them, and it was hard to sleep with nurses and lab technicians coming in every four hours to check Martin's vitals and draw blood. Even when they weren't coming in, I lay awake, making sure Martin didn't get out of bed and hurt himself. While I admit I wasn't exactly well-rested and in my best mental state, I still couldn't understand why he said I was compromising his care. Seeing Martin's heightened anxiety, a nurse pulled the blood pressure cuff down from the wall. Ma'am, I'm going to have to ask you to leave, the nurse said. Are you kidding me? How will I be able to take care of him if he stays like this? For the first time in weeks, I began to pray as I desperately sought God. What if this is my life from now on? How can I continue to love someone who thinks I'm out to get him? How am I supposed to serve him when he doesn't believe I have his best interests at heart? While I was crying out to God, I felt a warm and loving voice envelop me. It was as if God took a spotlight and shined it on my dirty heart and dingy soul. How could I complain about Martin thinking I was trying to harm him when every day I thought the same thing about the God I dearly loved? I began to weep. You're right. Just like Martin this morning, I've doubted your goodness. When all you've done is ever care for when all you've ever done is care for me, love me, forgive me. In my doubt and distrust of God, I had failed to see the good things he had done for me. When his plans superseded mine rather than trust him, I argued why my plans were better than his and doubted his goodness. And even when I doubted God's goodness, he was good to me. I could do at least that much for Martin. This is the good life. This is the good life. Part of the good news is that even when we aren't there yet, even when we're still in process, God is working on our hearts. Because he is good, doing good for us. You know, the saying, please be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet, uh, might be more appropriate in this context to say, I will be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet, or I will be patient with God, God is not finished with me yet. Colossians was written to a group of Christians that were being told that Christ is not enough for the good life. The full life is to be found in something or someone else. And God says to them, and God says to us, hold on to Jesus Christ by faith. This is the good life, the increasingly good life. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you for this word to us in life, in the life that, that oftentimes is filled with deep difficulty. Yet we thank you for the truth, the truth that we have the deepest connection possible with you through Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we come to you in faith. We came initially in faith, trusting in what you did for us and removing our guilt. But we also come to you in faith and live out that faith, trusting that you are working for our good. And we pray, Father, that you would do that more and more and that we would be filled with lives that express themselves in thanksgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue our worship by singing hymn number 